This is Paul Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. At Gallant Says on Twitter. Text into the show at 710-710. Oh, hello and welcome into the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle. I am Paul Gallant. It is Friday, May 28th of 2021. We've got a lot of things to talk about today. And I want to begin with this question for you. You can interact texting in 710-710 on the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line. You could also tweet me at Gallant Says. A two-part question. What's the biggest strength of Pete Carroll's coaching style? And what's the biggest weakness? I ask all of those things because we finally got to hear from Pete Carroll as Seahawks OTAs are underway. And hear how he's feeling about the fact that Seahawks veterans haven't reported to camp, outside of one, Akilah Witherspoon, who hasn't played with the team before. Here is what Pete Carroll had to say when he was asked about the low attendance number, especially when you consider that the NFC West is a division that is really competitive. Yeah, I don't, I don't manage anything what's going on around the rest of the league. Um, we're just doing what, what, what's best for us and what, what our guys need to do. And, uh, we're, you know, like I've told you, we're making terrific progress. We've been here before um, with, with what we can get done in virtual, and, and it's, it's, again, it's going great. And uh, our guys are, are dedicated and are working their, their butts off everywhere, all over the place. Rule number one, protect the team. Pete Carroll's protecting the team there. And he would always glad handle low attendance numbers, no matter what. Even in an offseason where the Seahawks brought in a new offensive coordinator. That's just out of character for him to say, eh, I wish there were more guys here right now. So I'm not asking for that to necessarily happen. I'm just saying that there are times where I wonder if Pete Carroll could be just a little more of an old school type. And you're probably saying to yourself right now, wait a second, Paul, uh, Pete's as old school as it gets. Hammer the rock, running the football, not committing an offense to the greatness of Russell Wilson, instead focusing on balance. Okay, but when it comes to his handling of players, his relationship with them, he's about as forward as it gets, as 2021 as it gets. That has its benefits. Team morale here, I doubt, gets very low, even in weeks where the team ends up losing. But at the same time, when you are a player's coach, and Pete is, even though he is encouraging competition to take place here, it has some years. It hasn't maybe been the same way that it was during the years of the Legion of Boom, but he's got a pretty good program here. But one of the things that can happen when you're maybe not that hardo guy, I'm not asking to be a Dan Campbell, but... If you don't have that kind of fear that you're putting into the hearts of your players, then where is the urgency? Russell Wilson was asking for urgency this offseason, and honestly, if he wants to be a part of the urgency going forward, maybe he should be here at OTAs with the rest of the Seahawks. But if Pete Carroll was a little bit more of a hardo, do you think that there might be some veteran players a little nervous thinking to themselves, you know what, I think I need to be here for OTAs. And I'm sure, you know what, Pete Carroll probably could have spun this in an entirely different way. Somehow saying in a positive and cheery and optimistic tone, you know what, guys? I think it's going to be best for us if we all get together this offseason 
and show up for voluntary workouts. But I don't know that that would necessarily have the same effect either. Pete Carroll's strategy has worked in terms of regular season success. But the results last year, at the end of the season, were not what they wanted. And of course, they're out in the first round of the playoffs after a pretty pathetic showing against the Los Angeles Rams. You need more, and what you're getting out of the veterans is not something that, at least right now, OTAs, voluntary, not very important in all things considered, but still, if you're trying to get that first foot out the door, this ain't an ideal way to do it. And I think that if Pete Carroll was maybe a little bit more of a hard-o, that you might have some of these veteran players having reported. Text in, 710-710, because it is the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle on the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line. From the 253, Pete's biggest strength is his culture. Those guys know they can win every single game. Weakness, in-game adjustments. Can make, a, can make an argument that's the coordinators, um, that's on the coordinators. Yeah, I think you could make that. I think you could make that argument that the coordinators have been a problem on that front, but it also has to be on Pete Carroll, too. I think that Ken Norton Jr. did a really good job with the defense of adjusting what they were doing this season. He got a lot of flack the first half of the season. Deserve it. It was a historically bad defense. Brian Schottenheimer was not able to do that. And I think in game two, you also saw the results of that. Text in. Strength, player development. It's been pretty effective. Hasn't been amazingly effective, but it's been pretty effective. Weakness, time management in games. He's almost as bad as Anthony Lynn. He's not great at it. I do think that we tend to overreact to the coaches that we see right in front of us and the way that they handle game management situations. It's pretty bad across the league. But Lynn is ridiculously bad. Excuse me. Was. That's why he's out of a job. You can also tweet me, at Galan says, a response from Murph. Both one and the same. The environment he creates with the family college-like feel. A family and college-like feel means maybe some of these guys can look at this offseason and offseason after a failure and approach it with a little bit more of a cavalier attitude, country club kind of attitude. Not accusing the Seahawks of being that at all. Just saying, from an optic standpoint, this does not look as if the Seahawks look at last season as something that was requiring major improvement from this year to the next. I don't know that that's going to be the right approach. And maybe if Pete Carroll had a little bit something different in his personality, he might not be the same coach that he is today. Honestly, he might not be this. He might not be the head coach of the Seahawks anymore. But there are times where I wish he did have a little bit of that fire and brimstone to him. I'm Paul Gallant. This is the Paul Gallant Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. You can listen on your 710 app, on your smart speaker. You could watch 710sports.com slash video. The Seattle Mariners won a game against the Texas Rangers last night where no one in the top of the lineup did anything. The bottom of the lineup carried things, and you got a really nice performance out of Chris Flexen, who went seven innings for you. It started off with Tom Murphy getting a home run in the bottom of the third. Here comes the one-two. Swung on and destroyed the left field. This is long gone. Into the Rangers' bullpen. Bye-bye, Tom Murphy. A big blast to left. And the Mariners have a one nothing lead. There was no doubt about that one. And then, not too long later, 
It's Jacob Nottingham doing it. You got Jack Mayfield hitting a two-run double in the bottom of the seventh as well. Guys you're not expecting hit last night. And then Chris Flexen goes seven innings. Weirdly, he is 5-2 and two on the season, despite not having the best stuff, which we, of course, saw on Friday, last Friday, when the San Diego Padres, ooh, they took him to the woodshed. When I see a performance like this out of the Seattle Mariners, I'm not making too much of it because how many games is the back of your lineup going to be able to carry you for? Probably not very many. I just look at it from this perspective. It was not that long ago that the Texas Rangers were a World Series contender. 2010-2011, they were in the World Series. Back-to-back years. They didn't win it either of those seasons. It's been a long time for the Seattle Mariners, that's for sure. It's been 20 years since they have done anything of relevance. But when you see them going up against a team like Texas and the guys that are at the back of the lineup are winning and Chris Flexen is mowing guys down over seven innings, It should make you feel pretty good about the process, at least as far as in comparison to other teams out there. And obviously, you're nowhere close to being the Yankees, the Dodgers, the teams that are at the top of baseball right now. But I do think it is important to note that at times, you have stepped past other teams. Maybe it was a little bit difficult to see when you're losing 2 or 3 to the Baltimore Orioles or getting swept by the Detroit Tigers. But last year we saw it, and this year we're seeing it again. You've taken a step past a team like Texas. How many more teams are you going to be able to take a step past? Because you've been able to do it thus far without the majority of the young prospects that you think are going to potentially change this franchise's fate. How many more can you do that with? Progress is incremental. And I know saying that the Mariners are better than the Texas Rangers is not exactly the most gouty feather to put in your cap. But at the very least, I think it's worth acknowledging. At least as we head into Memorial Day weekend. I'm Paul Gallant. This is the Paul Gallant Show on 710 ESPN Seattle. You can listen to it on the 710 app. You can listen to it on your smart speaker or watch me and my giant eyebrows, 710sports.com slash video. It is the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle. Text in 710-710 on the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line or tweet me at Gallant says. This hour of the Paul Gallant Show is brought to you by Advanced Hair Restoration. It's time for What's Trending with Maura Dooley brought to you by Kings Heating and Air. Good morning, afternoon, Maura Dooley. How are you now? Good morning, afternoon. I'm good. I realize when you say that, that this is a, just a strong eyebrow show all the way around. I have, yes, that's true. I have some pretty big, thick ones as well. We have also very <laughs> fair skin. We are, the, we are very Irish looking. Yes, I think it is the Irish. I don't know. Luckily, the, the thick eyebrow thing is in, but they take a lot of maintenance. Yes, I would have a unibrow if I didn't pluck the middle of it. <laughs> very annoying. I don't know if I would go that if I would. I don't I'm not willing to find out, but It's the Galat family curse, Mora. <laughs> this is legit. No, I'm not kidding. Like everyone has it. Like you'd be looking like Anthony Davis. Uh, I don't know if it would be quite that bad, but it's I I've seen my dad and I look pretty much the splitting image of my dad. It was it was pretty bad. And it's not just for the dudes in the uh Galat family, Uh-oh. if you will. Yeah, it's everybody. Everyone's got that unibrow. <laughs> the French Canadian blood has much, has much hair. All right. Well, uh, we won't make anyone suffer through more of that. <laughs> um, the guys on Speak for Yourself on Fox reacted to some audio of uh, you and Danny on Danny and Gallant asking what? Brock Heward. Yeah. Asking Brock Heward whether he believes Russell Wilson has any regrets about his offseason behavior. And then they kind of gave their own takes. This is what Marcellus Wiley had to say. You in violation. You can't call out your O-line. You can't call out your protectors or 
First day of practice, that's going to be interesting. First game, I tell you my Ryan Leaf story again. There was someone on the offensive line for the Chargers, and Ryan Leaf was there. And Ryan Leaf was just sitting there like, I'm the man, and everybody else needs to pick up the slack, and they need to do their part. O-line them like that. And one of those players told me face-to-face, I ain't going to say his name because I don't know what he's doing in retirement. He was like, he might need the money. He was like, hey, bro, go ahead. Valet to the D-line in the game. Wow. Ryan Leaf, oops. Oh, we can't block, huh? Hey, dog, go ahead. Wow. Can't block, huh? Russell Wilson, I'm not wishing any ill on you, brother. But be careful who you talk about, especially when you still need them. Here's the problem with that very entertaining assessment. Ryan Leaf was terrible. Yes, he is a beloved Coug. He was terrible. He was not well-liked in that locker room. There were a lot of things working against him. So I can totally see why an offensive lineman would say, ole, with Ryan Leaf back there. It's hard to do the same thing when it's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. The issue, I think, is more, hey, I'm Dwayne Brown. I created a pocket for you. Russ, you got to stay in it from time to time. That's a conversation that I imagine Russell Wilson has had, but it is also something that in action, Russ is going to have to be a little bit more of a compromiser. And I know that's not his forte, but there are certain things where you have to let the other person win on. And I would say when it comes to your relationship with your offensive line, you have to acknowledge some of what they're saying. It's not you always being right all the time. It's not you don't have enough input into the team. Some of the input that you have into the team, by definition, is going to be wrong. Much like some of the input that Pete Carroll himself, as the head coach of the team, is going to be wrong. Much like some of the decisions John Schneider makes are going to be wrong. But compromise is an important part of football. And I do think that Russell Wilson needs to work on that side of it. Yeah, I I agree with you. It's hard to find any real comparisons between Russell Wilson and Ryan Leaf. I think in that situation, you're looking at a guy who basically wasn't known for putting forth effort calling out his offensive line. Russell Wilson's effort has never been questioned. He's one of the hardest workers on the team. He was frustrated, and I think he probably does need to talk about it with those guys. But just, yeah, I cannot see any of them ever trying to let him get hurt. I think Michael Bumpus told us earlier on Danny Galan, he's pretty sure that conversation has already happened, and I would have to think that as well. This stuff is behind them. Yes. Now it's a matter of learning the new offense with the offensive line and the wide receivers all in one spot. And the wide receivers aren't all in one spot. They're in three spots because Wayne Eskridge, he is in Seattle. And Tyler Lockett, he doesn't ever do the offseason things with Russell Wilson, who is in San Diego. So... That's that's not ideal. Not the end of the world either. All right. Well, one guy that you mentioned that is at OTAs, even though he's not participating yet because he, he's getting over a little bit of a knee tweak, it sounds like, um, is Seahawks free agency edition cornerback Akella Witherspoon. He spoke to the media yesterday about what he thinks he can bring to the table. Yeah, I think when I was healthy, I was the best corner in the league, and I don't, I'm not going to settle for anything else. Um just when I got injured, I had two bad injuries um, that no one really knows about or cares about, and it's not my place to make people care. But you go out there, you fight, you push through, um, and if it's not, if you're not at the best of your ability in this league and you're not healthy, it's it's difficult to to stay at that level that it takes to be all pro, that it takes to be a pro bowler. Um, and so I'm just extremely excited right now just to be healthy, clear-minded, um, in a new environment, and I'm just very excited to put that on tape. He mentioned that he had been rehabbing from a knee injury. I'm a little concerned about that. He says he's 100% healthy here. We'll see. 
Quinton Dunbar had some issues himself, and I was very excited about Quinton Dunbar last offseason, and I think it was a little more merited given that he was a starting cornerback in Washington that graded on PFF. I think he was the second-rated cornerback in the NFL in 2019. So a little bit different with Witherspoon. Saying you're the best cornerback in the league, cornerbacks, I think, have to have that mentality, but we have heard that confidence was an issue for him. Witherspoon had an awesome beginning of 2019 with the 49ers. He had a really good game in particular against the Buccaneers where he was covering Mike Evans a lot. But he got hurt, and then he came back, and he was brutal. He's somewhere, I think, in between those two levels. To be able to be consistently that guy, he might not be capable of that. And I think it's something you have to acknowledge. And that second quarterback position, it is really up for uh, up for grabs. And it makes me interested about something that we found out this morning, more that I... Look, we don't know what's going to happen with the Patriots and Stephon Gilmore, but... We saw someone propose the idea of the Seahawks sending a trade New England's way, sending a draft pick or something like that. And honestly, I I would not hate the idea given Seattle's past track record when it comes to trading for vets. I mean, they say they, you know, check into everything. I would think that that has to, if if that seems like an option, which because he is looking for a new deal and New England hasn't worked on that, I feel that it is. You would think they've had to have looked into it. I still think he's at a, a very good corner, even though DK did pretty well against him last year. DK he, beat him up. He is still at the, at the top of his game. And um, when we looked into his contract situation, I was really surprised to see that he's only owed about $7 million this year. Yeah. So if you're taking him on a one-year rental, maybe you get New England to bite even more of that. Because I still think they have a pretty good amount of cash space, all things considered. And... What do you send? Second round pick? Third round pick? You okay with the second round pick for a one-year rental of Stephon Gilmore? A hired gun, essentially, at cornerback? It would make your corner situation a little bit better than it is right now. That's a little, a lot better than it is right now. That's for sure. He's better than DJ Reed, too. I'm Paul Gallant. It's the Paul Gallant Show, the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle. You can listen on your smart speaker or on the 710 app. Watch it, 710sports.com slash video. 206-421-3776 is how you call into the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle. You can tweet me at Gallant Says or text in 710-710 on the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company. It is your chance to be heard. Your voice. Your opinions. It's time to be heard. Every day at 1015 with Paul Gallant. Be heard. Text in 710-710. Most interactive sports show in Seattle, yet my text never gets acknowledged. Well, guess what? You just burnt it on that. Sorry. I got a tweet from somebody at Gallant says this has nothing to do with the question of the day, which is what's Pete Carroll's biggest strength? What's Pete Carroll's biggest weakness? Jay Keeps put out a tweet. It's a video of Russell Wilson working out. He's doing that thing where you, you, I'm not even sure what this workout is called. I've never done it myself. But it's like a pelvic thrust, basically, where you have a bench press bar on top of you. And Jake tweeted an attachment to the video. Personally, it's the best offseason in Russell's career regrouped, made adjustments, and has been relentless. Two, Russell's place is like football candy land. His investment into his body and setup is second to none. So somebody uh, on Twitter, Josh, tagged me in this, said, send this to Paul. He is bashing Russ as we speak about not having a sense of urgency, LOL. Well, he's working out. Now, I'm not going to diminish his workouts compared to mine. He is clearly stronger, faster. Eh, maybe not best. Just kidding. Stronger. But I mean, what 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 is what does lifting do right now? As far as proving that the offense is going to be in sync. Like this is I I will never question Russell Wilson's preparation or anything like that. 
I'm just questioning the offense as a team being ready to go at the start of the season. So you can't really call urgency in action when you're pointing at Russell Wilson doing workouts. It's about what the offense is doing together as a team, getting in sync, rhythm, Shane Waldron figuring out Russ, Russ figuring out Shane Waldron. Right now it's all words and meetings. Those have some value in person. I just think it's way more important. And if we're talking about urgency as a team, it's it's hard to argue that Russell Wilson is showing it as far as being the best offense that the Seahawks can be next year if he's only working out with some of his guys. He's definitely working out. I'm not acting like he's going to come out, come into uh, training camp out of shape or anything like that. 206-421-3776. A call from Robert. Robert, what's going on? Uh, thanks for taking my call, Paul. I just have a question for you on evaluating and rookies and prospects. I heard your last segment and your comment about DK Reeves saying that he's not very good. And huh? my question, Paul. Where did I say DJ uh, Reeves not very good? That's what you just said. I said Stephon Gilmore yeah. is better than him. He's the reigning. He was Defensive Player of the Year two years ago. Okay. Well, my question is: is how do you evaluate talent when? On the other hand, you're telling us Mariners fans to be patient with a bunch of prospects, you know, not hitting and, you know, like being inconsistent here and there. And then you're criticizing our rookie cornerbacks, you know, who've only been in the league for two to three years. What are you talking about? Wait, hang on. What are you listening to? What are you listening to? I'm listening to you. And I'm listening like, wow, who is this guy saying that DJ Reed, our quarterbacks, all these rookies that we have are basically terrible. And, you know, DJ Reed's not a rookie. First off, talent. second off, so could you where was the criticism of DJ Reed? Can you answer the question, please? Thank you. It's not a good question. I mean, you're 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 putting words in my mouth that I didn't say. So, if you want me to answer this question, why am I expecting more out of rookies and baseball prospects? Guess what? Baseball it takes time. DJ Reed was drafted in 2018. Yep. So I, I don't know why he heard that I said DJ Reed. Isn't good? I don't, I, I'm, I'm criticizing rookies? I don't even know where I talked about rookies in this past segment. So, listening comprehension, home slice, work on it. Corey's in Pialup. Corey, what's up? Up on the wrong side of the bed. Did I? No. Sounds like the other guy. <laughs> oh, Robert? Okay. Well, you know what? It, it, people hear what they want to hear. He chose violence today. It's all good. <laughs> Um, I think Pete's biggest strength is probably how he can bring people together from any background, really, and um, kind of make the sport. I mean, I'm not saying the sport's not fun, but I mean, I seem like Pete kind of brings that little high school feeling. You know, you want to come to practice every day. It's a fun environment. And uh, he put Seattle on the map, really. Before Pete was here, Seattle was kind of like Alaska. You didn't really know about it. You just kind of heard about it every once in a while when we lost. You see a 30-second highlight. And I think Pete's biggest weakness might be that he sticks to his guns too much. But, I mean, the guy's won everywhere he's went, and everything he does really works good. So, I mean, you can't really blame him. I mean, I, he's all, I, I he's understand you on Corey, on that, Corey. And, and, and sorry, we're up against it. So, so uh, appreciate the phone call. To, to wrap it up really quickly, he is all a famer, as Corey laid out. The college, high school kind of atmosphere of everyone wants to come to practice that Corey laid out at the beginning – it's interesting. It's, it's not the same that it used to be, and, and maybe it's just different for NFL players these days as far as showing up for these things. But 
I, 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 I wish he was able to get these guys in, you know, because because that should be a strength. Like these guys, is it is it a practice that people don't want to go to? No, I, I mean they're intense practices back in the day, but that's something that I wish that Pete Carroll was able to do. Get these guys in. I'm Paul Galan. It's the Paul Galan Show, seven ten ESPN Seattle, the most interactive sports talk show. Seven ten seven ten is how you text in on the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line. Dave Wyman's going to join me next. Is it really that big of a deal? The Seahawks veterans aren't here for OTAs. We'll talk about that next. It's 10.30, and that means it's time to get in the sports pit. In the pit where all that stuff goes down, and if you don't have some freaking toughness, you're going to get your, you're going to fail. With Paul Gallant. And I am joined by the one and only Dave Wyman of Wyman and Bob. Dave, last night somebody tweeted out the old Seattle Seahawks logo, and the prompt was, hey, what does this remind you of? So Mike Lefko tweeted out a card of you wearing number 92, looking like a giant defensive lineman. And I was like, whoa, wait, Dave Wyman was number 92? I did not know that. Why'd you pick number 92? <laughs> well, it's funny. It was given to me at Stanford, actually. And uh, it was a linebacker, a really good linebacker named Jeff Seaman, who played in the 70s, like late 60s, early 70s. And he's in the College Football Hall of Fame. He got drafted in the first round by the, uh, the Vikings. And I think he played from 72 to 82 or something like that. But he um, he was number 92, and he was a middle linebacker. And, you know, he's a four-time pro bowler. So, yeah, that's where the similarities end. We have the <laughs> same number, but <laughs> he was he was a really good player. And it just kind of grew on me. So when I came here to Seattle, um, they gave me that number. When I went to Denver my first year, uh, there was somebody with 92. So I was 57 for one year. And I thought I was going to keep 57, but then um, I had a, my son, Jake, the next year, and I was just going to you know, stick with 57, and when my son was born, he was nine pounds, two ounces. Oh, that's fate. Uh, on, that, on that day, it was 92 degrees, and the hospital he was born in was on 92nd Street. No way. So I was like, okay, yeah. So I'm like, okay, I'm going back to 92. Wow, that's, that's interesting. Called, called the Broncos. That's, yeah. that's funny. Yeah, and got it back, and it just kind of grew on me. Would, would you believe that I was a nine-pound, eight-ounce baby? I was massive. Sorry, Mom. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no kidding. <laughs> well, my brother, and I think that it's different now because, you know, there was uh, the diabetes thing a little bit more, but my brother and I were ten and a half. And oh, my goodness. <laughs> Future so. football player. That's definitely what you're looking yeah. for. Uh, I miss that old Seahawks uniform, by the way. Uh, man, it's it's so it's so cool looking with the silver and the, and the blue and the Kelly green. I hope they go back to it. Um, Dave, I'll ask you a more important yeah. question. No one wants to hear me talk about uniforms. If John Clayton's listening right now. He'd probably be driving into a ditch just angrily yelling at the radio. So uh, my, my question for you, this has to do with Pete Carroll. What's the biggest strength of Pete Carroll's coaching style, and what's the biggest weakness of Pete Carroll's coaching style? Well, I mean, I think the strength is just that uh, he's very um, adaptable. And, you know, for a guy who's very, you know, I mean, he's the oldest coach in the league. He really has kind of the the youngest view. I I would say just overall, though, him and John Schneider both, they love the players, number one. And that's not always the case everywhere. You know, um, they get that the players are the show. You know, they're not the show. The players are the show. And that just comes through. Uh, in that, um, the weakness, I guess, would be just that, um, you know, sometimes it's kind of weird that he 
is that you know good to the players and friendly, but and I'm not sure how it is other places, but like Richard Sherman and Michael Bennett and Earl Thomas all kind of had you know negative things to say. I think you know five years after they're retired they're going to realize how much they love Pete and, and all that stuff. But I don't know, I guess, did it breed that? I mean, did his, you know, being nice to the players and friendly to them, did that make them be that way? I don't know. I just think, I think the other thing about him is that he gets the most out of players. He'll, he'll give guys a chance that other people won't, you know, and that's why sometimes, I mean, Frank Clark, Jaron Reed, I mean, there's been some things with, you know, off, off the field problems, uh, Marshawn Lynch, there's probably a lot of teams that weren't going to, you know, trade for him and got the most out of him. So, I mean, overall, I, I think he, he certainly cares about the players and, and means best, but it's just weird how, I don't know how that translates, but you know, those guys all, you know, Earl flipped him off and, right. you know, Richard said some things and I, I feel like they're going to feel bad about those things later. So I, I guess the negative part, I don't really understand mm-hmm. that much. But, you know, uh, I, I just – I think I agree with him on his philosophy that defense and running the ball is never going to go out of style. I think I'm with you on that one too. Seven ten seven ten. if you've got a question for Dave Wyman, who's in the sports pit with me on the Paul Galan Show, Seven ten ESPN Seattle. When we look at the Seahawks and the veterans that aren't at OTAs, when – I'm looking at it as someone who never played in the NFL. There's a part of me that wonders just about how good of an idea that might be because you're trying to install a new offense. And I think one of the strengths that you mentioned with Pete and maybe one of the weaknesses at the same time is that when you're that loving of the players that maybe they're going to say, okay, well, you know what? We can do things our own way. And there's a part of me that does wish that Pete maybe had a little bit, just a little bit from time to time of that fear element that Bill Belichick can put in because I, I feel like for the most part, maybe outside of Tom Brady the last couple of years he was there, but Belichick could get everybody there for these OTAs and they're always so crisp at the, at, as the season begins. And, and, and maybe that would help the Seahawks here, but I guess long way of asking, is it a big deal that these veterans aren't at OTAs? Well, I mean, look, we talked about this pretty at length yesterday that like, you know, just because they don't start off strong or whatever, you know, does that mean that was because of this, them missing these OTAs? Did they really get that much out of it? All I know is that, you know, what I'm reading out of San Francisco, I just said a quote from Kyle Shanahan where he says, they had only eight players missing down there. And they had Kittle, Fred Warner, Trent Williams, you know, Trey Lance, all those guys there. And he said, we got guys who really enjoy football. And, you know, he said it also it's hard to get better at football if you don't practice it. So, you know, that's that part bothered me. Also, you look at the Rams, they've got, you know, Whitworth is, you know, he's ancient. He's down there at their OTA. Stafford, Robert Woods, Aaron Donald, Leonard Floyd, Darius Williams. So, yeah, and, and now with the Seahawks, they basically have the same cast of characters that were down there for the uh, rookie minicamp. And, you know, the veterans aren't there. So I just think, you know, more practice is always better. Always. <laughs> and this time of year, you can't be as hard practicing the way that they used to. And there's a part of me that wonders, too, okay, that definitely has some good going forward. You don't get any players perhaps injured as much as you may be used to at this time of year. But on the other side of things, too, 
I just wonder, every single year, the less and less hitting that happens at this time of season, if that is going to just affect the game and change the game. Yeah, I, I, I think it I think it does. I mean, I thought the guy that did it the best when uh, when I first came into, or actually at the end of my career, when um, when Kyle, or, uh, Mike Shanahan first came to Denver, we would go out for individuals and, and we'd do nine on seven, which is the run game part of it, in full pads. And we were killing each other, but you know, at least you're getting an idea of the speed and the fits and how hard you have to hit somebody in order to get a gap secured or get a guy blocked. And then we would take off the pads about, you know, after about 30, 40 minutes, and the rest was, you know, no contact with just helmets and, you know, jerseys. So I, there has to be, I think, some of that, especially like you, you can't it's really hard to judge offensive line play. Yeah. You know, whenever we talk about camp and everything, it's always like, well, how'd the offensive linemen look? And I'm like, I don't, I don't really know. Right. Because they haven't played in, you know, full speed or anything like that. I also think you get in hitting shape and that there is something to that, but you know, there's, there's always some kind of a happy medium, but I just, uh, the players, you know, they've just, their power struggle. I mean, to me, it should be about more money. Get more money. Don't take less practice and less hitting and things like that. I mean, there's a certain point where you want to keep your guys safe, and their health certainly is very, very important. But, you know, to me, their negotiating chip has always, over the last few years, has been about less practice, less hitting. You know, and I think they should be more concentrating on getting more money. That's that's really what's important. And they've kind of shifted away, and it's like, I feel like the owners are kind of getting over on them a little bit because it's like, oh, they want more money. No, we're not going to give you more money. But if you want to practice less, okay. You know, and that's been kind of the, the chip that they've, you know, tried to cash in on over the last few years. He is Dave Wyman. Wyman and Bob coming up at 2 o'clock this afternoon. Dave, thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks for having me on, Paul. Anytime. All right. Uh, as we go into the last segment of this week of the Paul Galan Show, you have a choice. You get to pick from three different topics, and we'll continue to answer the question of the day. Do you buy into the idea of luck in sports? I like the Seahawks' old look, but they can't change to it. I'll tell you why, and one of the softest moves that I've ever seen in sports. All of that next. You're listening to Paul Gallant. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Every day at 10 on 710 ESPN Seattle. Seattle. It is the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle. If you want to call in, 206-421-3776. Even Robert and Kirkland is welcome. Terry and Shoreline is tired of hearing him. Listen, we will hear all takes. The problem is, if you don't actually hear what I'm saying and respond to something you think you're hearing, you're wasting everybody's time. Because then I get worked up, and then we go, rah! And then he goes, rah! And it's just loud noises, and nobody wants that. The question of the day on the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle. What's the biggest strength of Pete Carroll's coaching style? What's the biggest weakness? The reason I ask that is because there is a part of me that wishes that Pete Carroll had a little bit more of that old school, I'm going to instill fear into the hearts of my players that would have maybe some more of the veterans showing up for OTAs, or maybe that Pete Carroll was just a little bit more hands-on, I guess, in terms of trying to get players to do things. And, and, and I say from this perspective, he's very hands-off. Just look at this offseason. How many coaches would have allowed DK Metcalf to go to do the 100-meter dash? I love that he did it, but how many coaches would actually allow something like that? I don't think many. Although, again, maybe things have just changed so much in 2021 that what I'm hoping for is a relic of the past. 
what I would like to see out of Pete Carroll, maybe making these guys think that they need to be here, is something that Bill Belichick was able to do five years ago because he had Tom Brady. And no one else is going to be able to replicate that. But you see the rest of the NFC West, full attendance at OTAs. When you're trying to when you are trying to install an offense in a division that is this competitive, you better know what you're doing on that front. And I'm more so saying that about Russell Wilson than about the veteran players who aren't showing up. If, if they they better they better deliver. They better not be out of the gates slow. 710-710 is how you text in on the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line. Answers to that question. Biggest strength 100% his ability to build culture and belief. He's as good as anyone in sports there. Weakness, lapses in details throughout game. Lots of people are also saying clock management. The lapses in details part, that frustrates me. I suppose only so many teams can have the attention to detail that Bill Belichick and New England have. But you shouldn't tell yourself that it's not possible. And the delay of games in particular are the most frustrating thing for me with Pete. The clock management thing... I think everyone thinks that their coach is not very good at clock management. And I would tend to agree. I just think it's bad across the league. That's not an excuse for it. But the attention to details on things like, hey, let's get to the line of scrimmage on time, not get called for a delay of game. I'd like a little bit more of that. Text in, when the Seahawks win 12 to 13 games this season, will we all be screaming, but OTAs? No, we won't. We won't. I'll fall on the sword on that. And if they win 12 to 13 next year, well, hey, hang on, hang on. Wait a second. They won 12 games last year. Yeah, I was going to say we might because people seem very unhappy with last year and the year before. Yeah, Mora. Now, I, I guess OTAs don't necessarily help you the last month of the year as much because you're gelling together over the course of a season. But the results are not about the regular season wins anymore. The results are about changing that number from one playoff victory the last, what, five years, and that one playoff victory came against... What? Josh McCown? And I forget the I forget the number because I know there was the victory over the Minnesota Vikings where Blair Walsh missed the field goal. Maybe there was a victory over the Detroit Lions along the way. All I know is there haven't been many there have not been many playoff victories of late, and there's been a lot of one and dones, and it hasn't been good. So you install the offense a little bit better. Hey, maybe by default you're in the second round of the playoffs. And you got a home game at Lumen Field. In front of some loud, loud human beings. Text in, strength culture allows player to, players to develop into their maximum potential. You know what? Subjective. I think it does for some players. I think it does it for other players. I think some players are actually better when you, when you, when you are on them. And some players are better when you get the approach that Pete Carroll does. It's very unscientific. And that's hard to determine when you bring a guy in what it is that drives him and what gets the most out of him. I would say, you know, I think anyone who has had a coach in any form of sports in their life, you've had a guy who's way over the top, and you've probably had a guy who's pretty loosey-goosey. Maybe you liked one, you are able to play better with the other. Text in, 710-710. OTAs will help in the playoffs. I mean, all the puff stuff during this time. There's a lot of puff stories these this time of year. I mean, I, I would I would point to the tweet that Jake put out of of Russ's pelvic hip thrusts as a bit of puff. It's impressive, no doubt about it. I've never done that workout before. You know, just doing a little bench. 
you know, no big deal. Getting into the two hundos, no big deal. Flex. Just kidding. Uh, it's about those details that you can get down now. Think about how many more details you can get in training camp. And I just want a team that doesn't get penalized. I want a team that is consistently just like a well-oiled machine where week to week they're going to not have losses that come as a result of a delay of game that takes place within the last minute of a game against the San Francisco 49ers where all of a sudden you find yourself out of touchdown range. Lots of thanks to go around for today's edition. Today's edition. Today's edition. I forgot one letter there. Today's edition of the Paul Gallant Show. Big thanks to Maura Dooley behind the glass. Big thanks to Dave Wyman as well. To the texters, the callers. Yes, even Robert. And the tweeters as well. I am merely Paul Gallant. So long, farewell. Have yourselves a wonderful and safe Memorial Day weekend. Jake and Stacy are next.